Welcome to episode four of the Counting Stats podcast. I'm your host, Lou Landers, director of MLB content at drroto.com. Follow me on Twitter at Landers Talks. Follow the podcast at Counting Stats pod throughout the offseason during the baseball season i'll be joined by fantasy baseball podcasters writers members of the fantasy sports writers association and personalities from sirius xm fantasy sports on this episode joined by someone who i've worked with numerous times in the past he's a tgfbi winner he has a great podcast called on the wire it's kevin hasting kevin welcome to the show glad to have you here tell the listeners a little bit about yourself Oh, thank you so much, Lou. It's great to be here. Uh, really enjoyed working with you in the past over the years. It's, uh, so it's always a treat to get to come on and and uh, and talk some baseball. Yeah, I'm a co-host with Adam Howe of On the Wire um, over for the Pitcherlist Podcast Network, and uh, we have just went back to weekly podcasts with the season hopefully approaching. We had been doing uh, every other week throughout the off season for the most part, uh, and I, I do a fab article uh, comes out every Sunday during the season for pitcher lists. So, really anxious to get this season going. I'm cautiously optimistic about the season. Maybe not so much so about uh, spring training starting anytime soon, but uh, I, hopefully we get some baseball here before too long. I hope so, and I think when the calendar turns to March is when my panic might start to set in. We still have, what, like six days or so before that happens, so hopefully that uh, hopefully that works out. And we're assuming the season is going to start. We are going to have baseball, so we want you to be the most prepared for your drafts. We're going to talk closer, relief pitcher, saves, strategies, and I find there's really no right or wrong way to draft saves. The point is you need to get them, especially in your draft and holds, your roto format. So I want to start with an important question, Kevin. One, I find Gardner's a lot of different responses from person to person more often than not, but do you draft a closer early or are you more of the wait and grab guys late type of drafter? I, I've changed over the past couple of years. I, I used to like to wait on closers. I was one that bought into the um, the, the scenario we've heard of for a long time, don't pay for saves, but I, I think nowadays we have to. And you're going to pay for them one way or another. So I prefer paying for them uh, with my draft capital whether it be a, a, a higher draft pick or whether it be more auction dollars, uh, depending on the, the format of the drafts. Last season was the first season I really bought in, and I wanted one uh, of the top you know, six or seven guys. And this year, I'm even taking it a step further. Sometimes I want two of those guys. So generally speaking, how did it work out for you last year? Did you find that it worked out more than not? It worked out on all of the teams that that one guy was not Trevor Rosenthal. <laughs> okay, fair enough. See, <laughs> I tried to adjust a little bit last year, too. It wasn't early, early, but I got a bunch of Nick Anderson, and then boom, injury right, hit, right. and I lost it. And it kind of set me back in a lot of those leagues. And up until recently, I was like you. I like to wait, 
even till round 15, 17, 18, maybe then take three or four guys back to back to back to back and used to work well. But the last three to four years, especially, it's become a complete mess because job security actually existed back then. Nowadays, what, five, maybe seven guys in total have that security? Draft and hold, you better get at least one solid 20, 25 plus saves guys in those first five to six rounds. And in just your common basic redraft leagues, I think if you wait past round 10, you could even be in trouble. And that seems even late, potentially, based on a number of drafts I've already been in this year. Yeah, it's it's seemed kind of crazy. We were talking towards the end of last season, uh, Adam and myself, and we we thought, you know, we're, we're going to start to see a couple of these guys go at the 2-3 turn in 15-team leagues. Well, now we're we're seeing the fourth and fifth closers coming off the board at the two three turn in some of the drafts I've been in. It it is it is absolutely insane. My my thing is it, it's not necessarily uh, the the saves. I I can get the saves in other ways, but the way that teams are deploying their bullpens, you have to use so many more closers and therefore starting lineup spots each week to get those saves where if I can get one of these top guys that I can count on, um, then that opens up another starting pitcher spot in my starting rotation. So it, it has as much to do about being able to play more starting pitchers as it does with me feeling safer about the saves themselves. Yeah. And to take that a step further, you also are, using multiple guys who are typically not going to necessarily be helping you in your ratios. I right. mean, you might get 25 saves from somebody, but he might have a four and a half ERA and a one, three whip compared to that guy that's locked in for a sub three ERA and a whip hovering around one. That's getting even more saves still. Uh, if it's purely just about the saves. Yeah, I agree. You can find them. Uh, but you know what? It's funny you mentioned you and Adam were talking about that because Lucas and I on the Lucas Baseball podcast were talking about how much earlier these guys are going to go. And it turns out the price to closers probably at an all-time high right now. Hendricks, Hayter, second, third round type guys, Iglesias, Class A going late third, early fourth, early fifth. And it's not surprising necessarily, but we kind of, I guess, hit on it. How are you adapting to that strategy? Are you actually thinking, I want two closers by round six, or are you still okay getting that one guy? Um, the way it's worked out, I've done several drafts. Uh, not as many as some, but uh, I probably, I'm in double digits of drafts that I've completed for 2022. And in most cases, I'm trying to get- Man, that is a lot. I thought I was like, <laughs> I thought I was average with about five or so. And yeah, well, I feel like maybe I'm way, I'm way below. Like I, I got to step up my game now. I, I don't know about that. I, I feel like I'm behind when I talked to John fish a couple of weeks ago on our pod, you know, and he was at that time, he was at 32, I believe. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it's, and, and some people don't start as early. I start in October. Uh, before the postseason's even over. I, oh, I just definitely. And see, I would draft a team every single day of my life. The problem is I don't necessarily think I can handle managing 90 of them. 
that yep that's and even these draft and holds the the draft champions on nfbc there's more to manage in that than you may realize when you when the leagues start accumulating um but yeah i've been trying to get either Hendricks or Hader in, in most of my drafts and in a, a couple of times I was just thinking about this this morning Lou the couple of times when I've had a, a, a later pick in a 15 team league like the 10th or 11th pick I've sat there and looked at Hendricks and Hader coming back that early in the second round and I haven't pulled the trigger there and as the draft progresses I'm wishing I had but it's just so hard when guys like Devers and Machado and Freddie Freeman are still there on the board. But I, I think going forward in that situation, I, I'll even pull the trigger on one of those guys that, at that point. Because even Raziel Iglesias and Classe and Edwin Diaz aren't necessarily making it back to you at towards the end of the third round. They're, they're starting to be drafted in the middle third these days. You know what? It's true, man. And... I have yet to get a share of Hader, of Hendricks, of Iglesias, of Class A, but I feel like in my next upcoming draft, I have to at least attempt it just to see kind of where the rest of my team goes afterwards. I don't know if I could stomach doing it round two, but my pick in round three, whether it's early or late, there I think I will have to kind of bite the bullet. And a lot of that is also because if you don't get those guys and you end up trying to chase saves, it takes up a large percentage of your fab dollars sometimes. And then you use that money and you don't have it in other areas you need because you're so concentrated on trying to get as many closer types, closer specs as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And with all of the talk this off season and, and even in previous years, but I feel like we're hearing more about it uh, as we head into 2022 about maximizing at bats, maximizing the innings, innings pitched, you can plan for that all you want during your draft, but you really have to work the wire in, in order to play all the matchups you want to play, stream not only stream pitchers, but stream hitters for certain situations. Um, a stolen base guy that has a seven-game week, so oh, maybe I can get a couple stolen bases. I want to save my fab dollars for doing that on a weekly basis, not chasing the next possible closer so when i haven't gotten some of those elite guys which i mentioned i haven't been getting i have been constantly finding myself drafting two of these three guys blake trinan scott barlow gregory soto and obviously none are going super early but they're certainly not going late like they might have a few years ago adps between 165 and 200 or so on nfbc are these guys, let's say you're getting two to three of them in rounds nine to 11, is this a comfortable feeling for you to have these two or are they just not sure enough for your liking? I I like those as my second guy. Um, and especially drafting right now. Um, Blake Trinan, for example, if Kinley Jansen signs somewhere else, he's jumping literally 100 spots. He's jumping into the third round right there with Iglesias and Classe and Diaz. I can tell you right now, I told you I have five drafts on so far. Four of them I have Trinan. Five of them I have Soto. And three of them I have Barlow. If if Kinley Jansen signs somewhere other than the Dodgers, you have a third-round pick you've been getting in the – 10th or 11th and that'll be amazing 
Uh, it's one of the things I enjoy about drafting early is being able to make decisions like that. Um, but with what we don't know right now, that range is where I've been trying to grab my second guy. One of those guys, I have Scott Barlow in a couple of leagues in the draft and holds. Where You're I also a Royals fan, though. So how much stock can we put into you drafting right. Barlow? And <laughs> in, 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 in draft and holds, then I'm taking Stalmont much later, uh, almost as a handcuff. I was I going really to ask you that exact question. There. Yeah. I'm glad you answered because uh, I have been worried a little bit about how quickly the plug can be pulled on a closer even a guy like barlow who has that elite k numbers is probably the best pitcher in that bullpen but if he blows the save early on they could easily just hand the ball to stallman and if he goes four or five or five of six the job's his yeah and it's a situation i think mike Matheny wants to use one guy most of the time but it's one of those situations where they, it might not ever be set in stone all season long. At least both of these guys are guys with good strikeout numbers and good ratios where you can stomach having them both in your lineup on a weekly basis uh, rather than a, a seventh starter. So it's a situation. It's not I'm not handcuffing every closer I go out there and draft, but that is one of the situations where that is uh, plausible. Definitely. I have another one later on. I'll kind of tease for it. There is another one coming, but I want to talk a little bit about Soto because we talked Barlow. We talked Trident Nights, obvious. Kenley there. He's in trouble. Kenley not there. You're in great position. Uh, but with Soto, I mean, there's a lot of things to like about him. One, good season last year, fireball or um, all-star appearance. AJ Hinch has said Soto is our guy, but I just struggle with relievers that walk so many hitters it's so easy for him to have a bad week where he gets in trouble with some walks someone hits a home run and then the ratios inflate um hinch loses his confidence and michael fulmer is kind of just chilling there no he hasn't stayed healthy and could they maybe stretch him out eventually as a starter could they trade him at some point if Soto were to struggle, I could see Fulmer kind of doing what we just talked about with Stomont and Barlow, getting an opportunity and kind of running with it. Um, I'm not going to handcuff Soto the way I would with Barlow, but it is worrisome that I have five shares of Soto already. Like, I believe in him. I think he's good for 20 to 25 saves, but a lot of people thought that was the case with San Diego last year, where I was the opposite. I went for Melanson, not Pagan, not the others, and got lucky i'm afraid i'm doing the opposite this year where i'm going so much in on soto that one little tiny screw up and i've spent like an eight or a ninth round pick on a guy that's just not gonna end up being the closer i i think it's this is one of those situations where it depends on the the league format in a draft and hold uh soto scares me because i I don't really want to spend another pick on Fulmer or, or another guy or two, but in a fab league where Soto is going, where the manager has said he is our closer, that might be the only situation in baseball, even though there's a couple that we know who the closer are. It might be the only one where the manager has said, this is our closer. So in a fab league, I've taken that for 
for what it's worth right now. And then if it doesn't work out and he does lose a job, I have options on, on the waiver wire later. In a, in a draft and hold, I hate to use the, a 10th or 11th spot on someone that I'm so worried could lose their job. You're breaking my heart here, bro. You're breaking <laughs> my heart. Um, but yeah, I believe in the draft and hold um, league I'm currently doing, I took Soto super early uh, because everyone was going way way earlier than they were supposed to. He's my number one, and I feel just disgusting about it. Yeah, it's, well, sometimes we're put in those positions to, to, if we're addressing other things in our drafts, right? I've, I've seen some some drafts posted where 10 closers are going in the top 60 picks. So yeah. you got to I mean, start taking what's left. Yeah, and that's <laughs> true. And because of it, I have a loaded offense. I have, you know, six or seven potential all-star MVP caliber bats. I have five very good starting pitchers, but I'm going to hurt in saves. And with a draft and hold, basically I'm going to be spending probably eight to 10 picks between pick rounds 30 and 40, just drafting spec guys, because that's what I have to do now. It's all about yeah, how you set yourself up, right? Uh, but for late closers, because, you know, it's kind of going to work both ways. I mean, I think for uh, redraft-wise, it's more in this 215 to 230 types of range in terms of the guys that you're going to be getting later, whereas draft and hold, you could be getting potential late-round guys pick 350 to 450, but are there guys kind of in that 200, 250 to 230, 250 range that you're looking at maybe as an RP3 um, or if you're like me needing an RP2? Yeah, there's – and it's kind of it, – once again, it, it always depends on the, the type of league. But it, in this area, I've been – I, I do have a, a couple of teams where I'm rostering Lou Trevino. Uh, it's, there's big question marks about is he going to be a guy in Oakland, uh, but but I do have him on a couple of rosters. He, he goes in that area. Um, I, I see a lot of Matt Barnes. I've avoided him so far. I just don't see Boston uh, continuing to run him out there for, for another season. Uh Ken Giles up in Seattle, uh, so many options that they have. This is kind of a range that uh, I think other than Trevino, I've mostly avoided. If I don't have the guys I want before this area, I'm waiting a little longer. Okay, that's fair. I uh, For me, draft and holds, things aren't so predictable, even though you know their ADPs are in that 250 to 230 range. Certainly does doesn't mean they're going to be there. Standard redraft, though, I find at least two of the three guys I'm going to name are there in that range. Dylan Floro, Andrew Kittredge, Trevino, who you mentioned, who I have a bunch of shares of, and Diego Castillo, names I'm looking at. Floro, end of the season as the Marlins closer, been fairly steady throughout his career. Kittredge is expected to be the lead guy in Tampa, but as we know, the lead guy in Tampa might be 13 saves this year. Uh, Torino, above average last season, but there's nothing secure about it. He could also be traded at some point if Oakland is, in fact, going to rebuild like we believe they are. And then Castillo, who 
what, there's like, what, four or five guys there in Seattle who could be the closer? He's no sure thing, but at least with him, I get a ratio stabilizer, good strikeout rate, and I would be happy with seven or eight saves. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the thing with Tampa, it, I think I think we go too far with the Tampa narrative. At least we did prior to 2021. Yes, they use a ton of relievers. Yes, they'll let any of them close. But when the guys that they liked were healthy, typically one of them got a majority of the saves. Uh, and by majority, I'm just saying over half, which for a a good team like Tampa that wins a lot of games, 20 to 25 saves from the main guy. That's great. And, and for that reason, I really liked Diego Castillo coming into last year. And then we had the trade and the injury and it kind of seems like in 2021, then the narrative we had about Tampa did end up playing out. They used all kinds of different guys, but when Nick Anderson is healthy, when Diego Castillo is healthy, they do typically let one guy get a majority of the saves. Yeah, well, that's why Kittredge is on my radar specifically. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm with you there. I do think there is a bit of a misconception. There's also the Cubs guys. And I mentioned I was going to kind of say handcuff. Uh, Wick and Hoyer, they interest me. I don't know who to take, and if I can only choose one, I'm not taking them, period. Uh, I think if I'm going after saves in that bullpen, I need both Hoyer and Wick because chances are they'll be getting at least 70 to 75% of the saves in that bullpen in 2022. I don't see anyone else over the first four months, let's say, getting saves in that bullpen. But just getting one, you could completely guess wrong. I prefer Hoyer. I like the arm. I think they got him from the White Sox for a reason. But I could be completely wrong because we just don't know. Yeah, I agree. I, I have a couple of teams, which each of them, and wish that I probably had them both on both of those teams. Um, but it's when you're getting to that point, and, and it's back to you know what we're doing this time of year. Um, it, when when this whole collective bargaining agreement gets signed it's going to be you know we we all had a great time right before the few days before the lockout because there was a flurry of signings and trades uh almost nba style we're going to get that again there's a lot of things unsettled uh so a, a lot of this has to do with we're we're drafting now with uh a lot of uncertainty Certainly, and I think Craig Kimbrell is a really great player to use because right now he's being drafted like he has a closer's job. And clearly, at this point, he doesn't. He's behind the guy that's basically going as the first closer off the board. Should he be traded? Yes. Do we think he's going to be traded? Yes. Will he be traded? My guess is as good as yours. Right. They, I believe they. There was a report, at least uh, very early in the offseason, that he would definitely be traded. Uh, I don't remember who, who put that report out there, but I remember that being a thing. And you have to believe that any team that brings him in is going to put him in the closer role. His, his numbers are substantially different when he's between when he's been a closer and when he's been a setup guy. But, <laughs> you know, teams don't always do what we expect. 
No, they don't. And there's clearly some teams out there that could use one. I mean, I look at the Boston Red Sox, for instance. I know Kimbrell's been there, done that. But you mentioned Barnes. Sure, they have Whitlock, and Whitlock might be a great pitcher for them in the ninth inning. But look how beneficial he was for them not in that role. Why take him out of the role he excelled in if you can go out there and trade for Kimbrell, put Kimbrell in the ninth, and then use Whitlock in the sixth or the seventh or the eighth, depending on the situation? Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, it, you know, some of these guys, I, I think it's it's a mental thing that the, the way they perform, whether it be the, the ninth inning or the eighth. Uh, even Bryzel Iglesias had some of those issues back when he was in Cincinnati. Uh, so Aroldis Chapman would, has shown it whenever he yeah. hasn't been the closer, whether it's coming off an injury, he's kind of working back in, he just doesn't have it. He just doesn't have that same adrenaline, I think. Right, right. So I, we think it makes sense that any team that would trade for Kimbrel and that the White Sox would, in fact, want to trade him since they have their ninth inning guy. Um, it's it's really interesting. Um, yeah. He's, he's being drafted as a closer for sure right now, the 112th player off the board over the last month in 15-team leagues, so early eighth round. Um, so everybody thinks he's going to be a closer. He should be. I have no shares yet. I'm just too afraid of, of the unknown, I guess. Maybe I'm not willing to take the risk. I'd rather risk having to take the terrible closers that we've talked about here. Um, and if you're doing that, or even if you're not doing that, you can never have enough saves. Um, I was talking last year in my recap season recap show. I had three closers going into the middle to end of July, and all three got traded. And that we're not no longer closers. So just because you think you have enough saves doesn't mean you do. So when thinking about that, are there you know one, two, maybe three guys you think aren't going to start the season as their team's closer, might not even start the season on the roster, but could take over at some point due to injury, ineffectiveness, a trade, someone you would use a last pick or two on, or someone you're watching, putting on that watch list, ready to spend the fab when the time is right. Uh, one of my favorites is Chad green. Um, he's not even being drafted in 12 team leagues and you can get him late in 15s, uh, 378 over the last month is what, what I have him for NFBC ADP. Um, a Roldis Chapman has been injured in the past. A Roldis Chapman has had, um, uh, behavioral, um, I don't issue is probably the wrong word, but he, he's, he's dealt with suspensions in the past and he has dealt with ineffectiveness at some points in the, in the past. Although he, he seems to have remedied, remedied them each time. But a, a guy like Chad green, who I don't mind having in my starting lineup anyway, with the great ratios, the strikeouts, uh, he can get you a win. He can get you a save. He's, he's much better than probably my sixth or seventh starting pitcher I will have on a lot of my rosters. So a guy like Chad Green makes a lot of sense. And if any of those issues pop up with Chapman, um, yeah, Loizaga is there as well. But I think they, I think one of them had five saves. The other had six last season. But I think if it became a thing where Chapman was gone for any reason for any length of time 
I really think with the strikeouts, Green would be uh, the guy they would use more often in that role. See, it's funny because I was thinking the same thing with regards to Chapman, but I'm more on the Loisica train. And that's because <laughs> Chad Green does have that strikeout ability, and I've seen him utilized, whether it was by Joe Girardi, and now by Aaron Boone. Sixth inning, you're in a jam. Chad Green comes in and gets that strikeout. Seventh inning, same thing. Green is the type of guy that you want to bring in in any situation, whereas Luizaga, to me, um, although he has struggled a little bit in the closers role, I think he only went five of nine in his opportunities a year ago, he has also just been so steady. Um posting career best in ERA, whip, and batting average against last year. He picked up nine wins, which is ends up being more than a couple of starters. So like you said, having green in your starting lineup, I would feel the same way about Luizaga. I'll still have him regardless of it being a starter. And with Chapman, you're right. The behavioral concerns, injury issues, uh, past couple of seasons, two of the worst ERA seasons he's ever had in his career, career-high whip in 2021. Those are scary things. I mean, as good as he is, as good as that K per nine is, there's a lot to be concerned about with Chapman, especially coming from a Yankees fan like myself, that one of Loisica or Green are guys you should have on your team. Yeah, I agree. And and I've looked at their, their numbers, other than the few more strikeouts for Green, uh, very similar. I, I could... I could use either one of them in that situation. And that's a great point with a guy like Green and the team having a tendency to use him in certain situations. That's something to really pay attention to. Um, I, I think it, it's a, a guy that I don't think will get saves. It would take a whole lot to happen. But Brent Suter in Milwaukee, uh, he, he is used in situations. It's, I don't think it's a fluke that he had double-digit wins last year. And in late July, I think, was second in the National League in wins. He's put into those situations. They use him in a tie ball game uh, in the mid mid to late innings. And, and so those types of roles are something to definitely pay attention to. Yeah, I mean, middle relievers on good teams are going to pick up those wins because they're going to come in when their team's either down by a run or the game is tied and then the team takes a lead and they're in line for the win. Maybe they only even threw six pitches and got one out, but then they're in line for the win. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I was just talking about this with Adam last evening. We were this and we were, we had uh, Michael Simeone on, on for a recording SP streamer. So we were talking about a lot of this and, I really think what we saw last season is going to continue. It's not just continue, but continue to evolve. We're going to see starting pitchers continue to go less innings and more relievers get more innings. We're going to have a we're going to have so many games where the starting pitchers don't even qualify for wins, even more so than we've seen in the past. And some of these relievers that are getting two or three innings, two to three times a week. All of a sudden, that's more innings than a starting pitcher's throwing. You're absolutely right. Uh, another guy I've been looking at is Jorge Alcala of the Twins. Uh, talked about him a lot with Dr. Roto, with my co-host Lucas Beery on Lucas Baseball. Pretty much anyone who will listen to me, I've talked about this guy. Uh, being drafted at an ADP of around 450 right now. He's basically free. 
Yes, the Twins are expected to use Rodgers to begin this season as the closer, but he probably won't end the year in that spot. One, he's a lefty, could be deployed in multiple scenarios, but also with the Twins being likely in rebuild mode, he'll probably be traded. So kind of fits perfectly into the not going to start the season as the closer, but could certainly get a chance to take over that role and showed us a lot to like in 2021, more than a caper inning an elite whip under one and was dominant in August and September after struggling in May, June, and July. This is a guy to definitely keep your eye on or even take with one of your last picks if you're trying to get one of those spec losers. Yeah, definitely. Uh, And his walk rate has come down each season, all the way down to under 6% last year, So, which gives him a K-minus walk of over 20%. Always love seeing that. So, uh it might not even take, you know, the uh, Rogers being traded. Uh, he could take over the role midseason anyway. Uh, or in April. Yeah, or in <laughs> April. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up. It, I, I think it's meant a little bit less over the the past few seasons about the lefties, but that is still something I take into consideration. And uh, it, that was... Uh, yeah, it definitely is more um, of a thing of the past as to when there wasn't the three batter rule. Yeah, yeah. For sure, because you um, save that lefty for that one lefty tough matchup. You can't do that the same way. Right, but it, it's. I still think it's in, in the back of the heads of a lot of these managers, and it's 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 something to pay attention to. And well, with, let's put it with this Akala, way. He's, he's, he's still improving. And as a 26-year-old, I mean, he he could be dominant if, if he is allowed to to take over that role. Yes. Sorry, I, I cut you off there for a second. I'm no, glad, no, you're I'm glad that you continued. Let me ask you this, and I know it's putting you on the spot. I'm just trying to think off the top of my head. Other than Hayter and Chapman, how many left-handed full-time closers are there in Major League Baseball right now. I think of Will Smith a little bit, Jake McGee, but I'm not sure those guys are necessarily locked into those roles. Will Smith had the highest percentage of his team's saves last season, and he has the big contract. And for that reason, he's he's in that, you know, seven or eight guys in my mind that are locked in, but he's my last one. Uh, if I miss out on that the first group of guys in the second or third round, I try to grab him and, and he's even getting taken pretty early and I've missed out in, in a, in a couple of drafts, but yeah, you're right. Other than that, uh, those guys, that's about it. I, I know coming into last season, looking at the Cincinnati situation, I, I was always been a, a big, um, Lucas Sims fan, um, but uh, nobody that really has has the role that uh, is coming to mind off the top of my head. No, I mean, Michael Givens did a nice job there last year uh, when he got there, but I don't even think he's with the Reds anymore. Uh, I think he's a free agent or signed elsewhere. Uh, they didn't have anything concrete in the back end of that bullpen, that's for sure. Um, And of course, there's less lefty pitchers than there are righties, which does have something to do with the fact that there's not as many lefty closers. You just don't see, other than Hayter or Chapman, and I guess Will Smith, you kind of sold me on that, uh, guys that you feel are secure and have their job um, 
and I think a lot of it is not because there's not enough of them, not because they're not dominant enough. It's because you want to have the versatility of using them in different situations. Uh, one more thing I want to talk to you about, and we've kind of briefly talked about both of these teams in Tampa and Seattle. They appear to be closer by committee entering the season. Do you invest in the committees? You kind of said yes already, at least with one or two of them. But in general, would you? And how do you decide who in the committee to take if you're not getting two or three of the committee? Uh, it it really depends. I, I, I like your Kittredge pick. Uh, uh, he appears like he should be the guy. Uh, see, Seattle, there's a, a ton of possibilities. I, I think about Ken Giles. He's coming back from injury. Diego Castillo has been back from in, injury. Suwald did the job he did there last season. I, I think it even Stecken Rider was excellent down right. the stretch. It, it, it comes down to, especially in a fab league, the, these are the types of guys right now, this time of year, when we don't know, these are the guys I'm drafting at the end of my draft. Uh, and it could be any of the one, whichever one's left, or if they're all there, pick the one I feel best about that day. Because if they hit, I have another closer I got with the last pick in my draft. If they don't, if one of the other guys gets the job or it looks like he's going to be third on the list and not even the setup guy, then they're my first drop, my first drop in the first week of fab, which you are going to be picking guys up in the first week of fab. So you have guys you have to drop. You know who I picked up in the first week of fab last year in TGFBI? Cedric Mullins. Cedric Mullins. <laughs> so I, I was thinking closers. I was thinking somebody like McGee. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's yeah, exactly. So you're you're gonna have someone you need to drop in those situations. And the uh, speculative closer in February that doesn't have the job in April, okay, I'll let you go. Uh it's so yeah, those situations are are where you can grab guys. Because if there was more certainty, they wouldn't be available there. So the, it's the whole, you know, give and take, taking what's available to you and, and trying to hit. Um, it, it's amazing to me. I Mark Melanson is a seventh-round pick now uh, just because he seems to be the only guy in Arizona. I, I think I'd rather wait and take a chance on – Diego Castillo, Ken Giles, to, and, and see who may run with that Seattle job. I mean, if you can get both those guys, why not? They're both going to put up uh, a lot more strikeouts than that of Melanson. But Melanson does seem built in for at least a few months until he's traded away from uh, what is likely a last-place Arizona team. So you mentioned a guy like Will Smith, the contract he has, the experience he has. Those are some of the things that I'm looking at when I'm trying to select from these committees. Um, to just say, oh, I'll take the guy that I can get the latest, I think is lazy. I'm looking at the experience, the success, um, who makes the most money, who keeps runners off base best, which closer misses the most bats, and then I want to start trying to check off those boxes. And if I can find somebody who can check off three or four of those boxes, I'm interested in taking them. In Seattle, nothing against Deck and Ryder or Seawald, 
but Castillo and Giles have experience, they have success, they rack up strikeouts, and they make more money than those guys. In Tampa, a little more tricky because no one makes a lot of money, no one has (laughs) tons of experience, (laughs) and they're all capable. But out of the bunch, Kittredge is the only guy I look at, and I think I'm getting double-digit saves there if he's healthy. Everyone else kind of a complete crapshoot. Maybe they get two saves, maybe they get six saves. There's no way of knowing. Right. A hundred percent. And it's, it's something to, to keep an eye on. Uh, One thing I was just recently discussing with Adam is really pay attention to how teams are using guys and don't just assume that the, the narrative that we've been thinking about certain teams for a period of time is continuing. Uh, Keep up on things. Teams, change how they're doing things they change philosophies and we don't even notice it's happening so as much as you can check on who's being used who's being used in the eighth inning now rather than the seventh or who's being used in a high leverage situation in the sixth rather than being saved as the setup guy pay attention because they're more than likely the next guy up uh, for these teams Very good point. Great call. Very informative stuff here, Kevin. Thanks for joining me. Do you have any final thoughts? Obviously, let everyone again know where to find you on Twitter, where they can listen to your podcast and all the great stuff you're doing over there at Pitcher's List. No, once again, just thank you so much for having me, Lou. It's it's been great talking to you, just talking baseball over the years. Uh, Absolutely love it. Uh, I am at HastingKevin on Twitter. Uh, My podcast I co-host with Adam Howe at on the wire pod. And that is part of also one more Twitter handle at picture list pods, where you can find all the picture list podcasts and uh, congratulations, Lou, this is, this is going great. The, I I know the, uh, your, your stuff going on here with Dr. Roto and the football season ending and diving more into baseball as, as the season once again is hopefully approaching. Uh, This is awesome. Well, I appreciate it, buddy. I really do. And yeah, we're doing a lot of great stuff over there. Obviously, Dr. Roto himself, known more as a football guy, uh, but we're trying to uh, let people realize we do baseball stuff too. We really do. (laughs) And we got a great staff that I get to work with. uh, So it's definitely really exciting. Thanks again for coming on, my friend. And folks, this has been the Counting Stats Podcast brought to you by DrRoto.com. You can go check out our fantasy baseball draft guide, help you dominate your competition, especially thanks to my guest Kevin Hastings. I'm Lou Landers. I'll catch you next time.